the message this morning. It's in the book of John, the 16th chapter. It says, Jesus answered them, Do you not believe? Behold, the hour is coming. Indeed, it has come. When you will be scattered, each to his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. If you have your Bibles this morning, feel free to join, join us and turn to um, John chapter 16 as you take your seats. While you're getting there, I want to start with something that may seem a little obvious, um, and that is this, that the things that we read in this book are real. And when I say that, I mean actual people, actual places, actual moments in time. And um, the reason that I bring this up is because I had a realization, uh, it was probably a month ago. Uh, How many have kids? You may be able to relate to this. I know every kid is different. But for us, bedtime used to be absolute war. It was torture. It was just frustration on frustration. What we tried to do is we thought as good parents, you read to your kids, right? So we would put them in their beds, and I would, we would try to read to them. And we would make it about a page and a half. I would have Micah rolling on his head. I'd have Matthias poking me, shoving his, eye into, or shoving his finger into my eye or something like that. And it would just leave in this frustration. They could not follow me. It was just, and every night after it was over, it's like, okay, go to bed. Oh. And that's how we would end our night uh, together. And so Candace had this great idea. What if you just go in and tell them a story? So I thought, well, it can't get much worse. Let's do it. So uh, that's what I did. I, I walked in and I, I put them in bed and just told them a story. I would make it up on the spot. And guys, I'm good. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, I can't tell you how many times I've left the room and gone, Candace, I crushed that. And I would try to like retell her. Anyway, I was good and I had their attention. It was awesome. And they were just all in. They would listen. And so we did that for a week or so and it worked really well. Parents of toddlers, try it. It was awesome. So uh, what we decided is since they're all in, why not take advantage and tell them a Bible story, Right? So Candace and I were talking, we just thought, let's, let's try it. And so when I went in there, I put them to bed, and, and I started in the same way I started in every, every time, which is once upon a time. And when I said it, I had like a light bulb go off in my head, that in my mind, I was, I was putting this story, which by the way, was going to be a great rendition of Jericho, uh, I was putting Joshua Jericho on the same plan, plane as I was the stories that I was telling them the night before, which was Superman wrestling down mutant robots and Ninja Turtles showed up and all of that. And so uh, without realizing it, I had it on the same plan. Here's why I say this. Every once in a while, I think it's important for us, critical for us, to take a moment and to grab the, the stories that we read and pull them out of the pages of fiction and put them back where they need to be, which is in the pages of history. And the reason I bring this up is because we're about to drop into a conversation that really took place, a real-life conversation. Jesus is about to be arrested. He's in the final moments before he's arrested. Before he's arrested, he pulls his disciples together, and he drops into a warning with them. 
He begins to warn them and tell them what's to come. Uh, He shows his heart for his disciples. But in this moment, we have to remember this is a real moment. And we're going to feel the heaviness as we drop in. We're going to drop in to uh, chapter 16. And here's here's where I want to go. Two things I would like to see happen. One, if you are a follower of Jesus here today, my hope is that this text will challenge you, maybe even grow your understanding of what it means to follow Jesus and the way that you communicate the gospel. And two, if you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, welcome. Uh, My hope is, is that as we dive into this text, that it will give you an accurate representation of what it means to follow Jesus. And so that's where we're going. Like I said, we're going to be in in 16 today. And keep in mind, in our first preview, we spent all of our time in one verse, John 1.1. We're covering 33 verses today. So I get 33 times longer to do this. No, I'm joking. We have to be out of here by noon. Don't worry. If you're one of those people that you're like, he's on verse 7, we're 22 minutes in, there's no hope. Don't worry. Just breathe. We're going to make it, all right? Well, we're going to drop in, and the way we're going to do it is um, we're just going to walk through it, not slowly. We're going to walk through it, and we're going to kind of unpack it as we go, all right? Let's drop in. We'll start with verse 1 in, in chapter 16. It says, I have said all these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, it, remember, I said we're dropping into the middle of a conversation, and Jesus says, I have told you all those things. Well, what are those things? Uh, in this context, we're picking up out of, out of chapter 15. I wish we had time to look at it. But we're, Jesus is talking about the way that the world is going to hate you. The world is not going to like you. In fact, in verse, uh, I believe, 18, it says, If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. So he is setting this, this expectation to say, hey, the world is not going to like you. And he says, so I've told you these things to keep you from falling away. Verse 2, they will put you out of the synagogues. Indeed, the hour is coming when whoever kills you will think he is offering service to God. Now hear me. The words of Jesus here, historically, we know they came true. That the men hearing Jesus speak were, in fact, going to face that. And it reminds me about a month, I think it was a month ago, almost exact, when 21 of our brothers in Christ from uh, the Egyptian Coptic church were marched down a beach in, in orange jumpsuits, handcuffed, and they kneeled down, and they, their lives were taken from them for no other reason but that they were followers of Jesus. That they were ta- and we, why? How could that happen? Well, it's just as Jesus says, that... Um, that they will do these things to you, and whoever kills you will think he is what? Offering a service to God. And I thought in that moment, and that, that the photos that were taken, those men standing behind them who did the execution actually convinced themselves that this was a service to God that they were doing. And Jesus says, guys, that is coming for you. That is going to happen to you, where they're going to throw you out and they're going to kill you. The atrocities that that they were going to face are real. They were coming for them. And we're going to touch on something real quick, and we're going to land on it later. But there's a tendency, I think, in our life, in our culture, to think when we see opposition in life, that equates to God is not really pleased with where we are or what we're doing. But when we face blessing in life, that means God is awesome with us. 
Jesus does not leave us room to have that conception. This text doesn't leave us room to have that, that, that thought because Jesus said persecution is coming. It is coming for you. And we're going we're gonna to spend a little bit more time here later. Let's go to verse 3. It says this, And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. The reality is that difficult situations are more bearable when we have accurate expectations of them. I think of a moment um, that I had a couple weeks ago. Our family got the stomach bug, and it was nasty. I'm not a very good sick person at all, but it like cycled through our family. And in the middle of that, uh, I was home. I was not feeling good, and I was with my, my little boy, Matthias. And uh, Candace had taken our other two, I don't know where they were, but we were just relaxed. I was laying on the couch. We were watching one of his shows. And I made the rookie parenting mistake, and that is that I took my eye off of him for two seconds, and that was more than enough. That's all he needed. So I was laying there on the couch, and I reached up, and I did this, and I was kind of just resting my eyes, and that was all he needed. And while I was doing that, he had climbed up on the back of the couch, standing, and with no warning, no warning whatsoever, my eyes are closed, I'm relaxing, he jumps and with both feet, just comes down on my sternum. Like, no warning whatsoever, just boom, right here. And it, I, like, lost breath. I was trying. I didn't know what just happened. I was in shock. No warning whatsoever. Maybe if I would have known it was coming, I could have braced. No. No warning whatsoever. Jesus doesn't want us to be like that. Laying there, relaxing, and the full weight of a child landing on your chest. He does not want his disciples to be there. Instead, he gives them an accurate expectation of what's to come, and this is why. So that when it happened, in those moments, that they will be able to go, wait, Jesus told us this was coming. And that they would draw strength from that and know we're not left here without an expectation. We knew that this was, this was coming because difficult situations are more easily bearable when we know they're coming. Uh, we continue, verse 4. It says, I did not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I am going to him who sent me, and none of you asked me, where are you going? Jesus says, I didn't need to talk to you like this. Why? Because I was here. I was right in front of you. We were doing life together, but there's going to come a moment, and that moment's coming soon when that's not going to be the case, where I'm going to go back to him who sent me. And in verse 6, but because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Sorrow has filled your heart. Jesus knows that his words were weighty. Have you ever had to tell someone news that was the truth and you knew they needed to hear it, but you knew the moment you heard it, it was going to crush them and it was going to feel that weight of just tough news? That was this moment. Jesus was unpacking for them an uncomfortable truth, but it was worth it. He says, nevertheless, in verse 7, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away, for if I do not go away... The helper will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. He says, I know what is, what is going to happen is going to be terrible. 
I know that it is going to be terrible, but you will not be alone. It is actually to your advantage that I go, because I am sending my spirit to help you, to convict you. You're never going to be alone. You're never going to be without hope. The very power, my power is going to be in you, and it's to your advantage that I go. Whereas Jesus could be in one place at one time. He was telling them of a moment when the Spirit was going to be unleashed, who could be with all people at all times. The power of God was going to be unleashed in a way it had never been before. And Jesus said, it's to your advantage, trust me. It hurts now, this is painful now, this is heavy now. But the moment's coming where it's going to be worth it. And let's continue, verse 12. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. Just right there, just stopping. Can you imagine just the heaviness that must have been on their faces? Jesus said, I could tell you so much, but visibly I can feel you can't handle anymore. Uh, Imagine everything they knew about God. Everything that they had given their lives for has been revolved around following this man who is now telling them, I'm going to leave you and you're going to suffer and die for my sake. So everything they knew was going to be turned on its head. And you can just imagine that they just wore that on their faces, right? In this moment as he, as he told them what was to come, that there was just this heaviness in the room. And in verse 13, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you to all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. He will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Jesus is confident that even though he is leaving, that his work will not stop. It reminds me of every suspense movie that I've ever seen my least favorite part in the whole movie. Here it is. There's this moment in every thriller suspense movie where one of the key characters, one of the most important characters, it never fails, has information that is vital that they need to share for, to unlock the secret of the movie. They need to share it, but they're dying. And they're laying on their deathbed, and it's a 10-minute scene of them trying to catch their breath. And, I hate this part of the movie. But he has to get the words out Because it's key to us understanding the movie. Jesus is not like that. Jesus doesn't need to exhaust every last last breath to give us his message. Why? Because he is confident that after he goes, that's not going to be the last time they hear his voice. That's not going to be the last time that they hear his voice. He doesn't need that suspense movie moment. He doesn't need to unlock all the secrets of the movie right then and there. Not only that, They couldn't handle it, even if he did. But he's confident that it is better for you that I go. Because someone is coming, the helper is coming, the Holy Spirit is coming that is going to unpack these things in your life. And that should give us confidence and and hope. And the truth is, is that the Holy Spirit continues to even speak today in that same way. And we're going to get there. Uh, Verse 16. Jesus says, a little while and you will see me no longer. And again in a little while and you will see me. Some of his disciples said to one another, what is this that he says to us? 
a little while and you will not see me. Again, in a little while you will see me. You see why they're confused. And because I'm going to the Father. They have no idea what's going on here. So they were saying, what does he mean by a little while? We do not know what he's talking about. Have you been there? Have you been there? Have you read something that you just are saying, God, what are you talking about? Well, that was them. You're in good company. They, they sat there and real, they just could not grasp what he was talking about. In a couple weeks, we're going we're gonna to start in on our first ever sermon series as a church. And last November, we met and we started to pray, God, where would you have us go? What would you have us look at? And we landed on the book of James. Now, if you've read the book of James, when you read it, there are things that you come across and you go, God, what are you talking about? And so as a church, we're going to get to journey through some of those things together. We're really excited. But we're not alone as we, as we struggle through that. And Jesus says this, and I love this. Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him. Don't you love it when Jesus reads your mind? Jesus knew what they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, Is this what you, were, what you are asking yourselves, what I meant by saying, A little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. You will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will turn into joy. You will weep for a moment. It will be difficult for a moment, but that is going to end, and in its place will come joy. It reminds me of Psalm 35. It says, weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. It's, that is what Jesus is saying. And then Jesus gives us a very real, very terrifying example that any mother can relate to. All right, let's read it. 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. I've, I've been around a woman who has had that sorrow. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you will have sorrow, but I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one can take your joy from you. Um, do you remember, for those of you who have kids, the, the moments before the birth of your first? You, do you remember the anxiety, the fear, the unknown, all of the crazy amount of emotions that go on in that moment? Uh, ladies, the pain that goes on in those moments? And then all of a sudden, something crazy happens. All of that seems to vanish when you hear the sound of that little baby's cry. I don't know what it is, but it's like we, some of us, we've done it again. We've had another kid, which is just God's gracious gift of forgetfulness that we do it to ourselves again, but it somehow, everything becomes worth it in that moment when we hold our little boy or our little girl, and Jesus says it's exactly like that. I'm not saying that the pain's not gonna be real. It's gonna be real. What I am saying is that at the end, you're not going to remember that because it's going to be worth it. It's going to be completely worth it. Uh, let's, let's move to the next verse, and we're going to spend some time with this at the end. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, uh, what Jesus is saying here is what he's about to accomplish is going to change everything, including the way even that we pray. 
Now, we could spend all morning on these verses. We can't, because like I said, I have 33. But we could, but I do want to say one thing before we move and see the bigger picture. I want to talk about one misconception that we can often bring to the table with this verse. And that is, the way we pray as Christians, if you're, if you're not even a Christian, you probably know this about us, that we like to tag this phrase at the end of our prayers, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus, right? We, we, we do that. Why? Is it, is it a hocus pocus kind of thing? Is it, our, is it our Christian way of guaranteeing that if we tag that, then the Father will hear us based on this? I've heard it used that way, that whatever, whatever we pray, if we tag it, then it is ordained and he's going to hear us. And I want to just take a moment to say, no, this is not our hocus pocus, our magic formula for getting God's ear. What this is, is it's an indication of our heart alignment. That's it. When we pray in his name, we're acknowledging that our connection with the Father, the very reason that the Father is hearing us at all is based on him. So we pray in his name because he is the basis of our connection. It's an indication of our heart alignment, not our hocus pocus magic word, and we'll move. Uh, The reality is is that Jesus' work has changed everything. And we'll get to 25, verse 25. I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but I will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day you will ask in my name, and I do not say that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed I came from God. And listen to this. I came from the Father and have come into the world, and now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. And listen to this. Have have we all been here? And his disciple says, ah, now you are speaking plainly and not using figurative speech. It's like this moment of going, Jesus, we were having the most difficult time in the world following you, so thank you for toning that back a little bit. I think we got it. So in this moment, the disciples are having a little bit of an aha moment. They, they, they're tracking with Jesus, and then they say something that reveals they weren't in verse 30. They say, now we know that you know all things. He does. And do not need anyone to question you, and this is why we believe that you came from God. Now, think of the disciples' response. They said, we know you know all things, your authority, and that you came from God. But let's look at verse 28 that says, Jesus says, I came from the Father and have come into the world. They'd say, yeah, we believe that. Notice what they left out, what they left out. And now I am leaving the world and going to the Father. When the, when the disciple says, oh, now I get it, you came from God. Jesus says, well, yes, but let me redirect your hearts back to the warning that I'm giving you, and that is the fact that, yes, I came from God, but I am leaving. And so Jesus very lovingly, graciously turns their focus back, and we're going to end here. Verses 31 through 33 says this, Jesus answered them. Do you now believe? Behold, the hour is coming, indeed it has come, when you will be scattered, each to your own, his own home, and will leave me alone. Yet I am not alone, for the Father is with me. I have said these things to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Again, Jesus steps back and reminds them. You need to know what's coming. 
yes, I came from God, and it's great that you are following me to that, but there's going to come a day when I'm no longer going to be here and I'm going back to the Father. More than that, there's going to come a day when the tribulation and the, the pressure that you're going to feel is going to cause you to scatter into your own homes. It, fulfilling a prophecy that in Zechariah 13 that says that the shepherd will be deserted by his sheep. This is fulfilled here when Jesus says, I, the good shepherd, am going to be deserted. But what does he say? I'm not alone because the Father is with me. And in verse 33, he kind of brings everything back, brings everything together for his disciples. He says, I've told you all these things. I've told you that I came from God. I told you that I'm leaving. I told you about what you're going to face in my name. I've told you about the persecution. I've told you everything I've told you in my time together. I've told you about the unbelievable joy that's going to come into your life. I've told you all of these things. Why? So that in me, that you will have peace in the middle of it. That you will have peace. And this peace, notice, is not peace because of an absence of trouble. It's not peace based on, an, uh, on no pain. It's peace in the midst of it. It's better than that. It is uncircumstantial peace. That in the midst of the tribulation, you will have peace that you will have peace. And in fact, sometimes those troubles have a way of, if you've been there, kind of highlighting a peace in your heart that you didn't even know was there. And that's what Jesus said is coming, that in, in me you will have peace. And he says what? In the world, you will have tribulation. Not you might, not maybe, well, we'll see. No, you will have tribulation you will have trials. Jesus was encouraging his disciples in this moment to embrace reality. And I think we can take a moment and just kind of bring this home a little bit. Uh, some of us in this room right now are going through situations in our lives that are difficult. It's just not pretty. Uh, we, we didn't think that it would be like this, but it is. Things are hard. Things are, we're struggling with things. Things did not meet our expectations. Maybe we're dealing with some health or some family relationships, whatever the case may be. Maybe you're here right now and life is not awesome. It's just not awesome. This is a community that you can leave the mask at the door when you come in and be real about what you're struggling with. And here's why. What good is a faith that forces you to ignore reality? That's good for nothing. It's charades. Um, that's probably why, in my opinion, why some of us, when things aren't good, don't want to come to church because we're not in the mood to put on the mask. We're not in the mood to fake. We're not in the mood for the charades. This should be the place to come when things are falling apart because you don't have to put on the mask. You don't have to play the, the charades. And Christianity is at its most beautiful when it is vulnerable and honest, when it is vulnerable and honest about what we as a people are going through. And, and Jesus calls us here to embrace reality, not to deny it, not to ignore it, not to float above it mystically, but to embrace it, to embrace it. In verse 33, he says, but take heart. heart. Why? I love this. It's not because you can do it. 
It's not because, it's not going to be as bad as you think. Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say any of those things. He says, why? Because I have overcome. That I have overcome. Anything that the world has to throw at you will not overcome you because I have overcome it. There's so much hope here because it's so beyond us. And listen, Jesus has overcome the world so that nothing that the world has to offer can overcome you. I think this is something that we just need to rest with. That's the hope that Jesus is giving you. No matter what comes, you know that nothing that the world can throw at you will overcome you because Jesus has overcome. The same John who wrote our letter also wrote another uh, first John is what we call it. We're real creative with names here. First uh, John in the fourth uh, chapter of that says, little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. John is hammering this in as we sang this morning that we overcome. It, John is hammering this in. Um, and as I read this passage, here's what I want to do. There are three things that I think we need to see, pull out, and, and really embrace from this text. And here they are. Let's start with the first one. We will face hardships. You will face hardships. Say it again in case we're in denial. You will face hardships. And here's why I say this. Um, some of us that I know have been lied to in this room. And the lie is that if you come to Jesus, things are going to be awesome. Things are going to be good. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna love life. It's going to work well for you. You're going to be ha- happy, healthy, wealthy, those things. You are going to love it. If you would just come to Jesus, everything is going to be just awesome. Church, if you read your Bible and if you look at history, that is not the reality that we as followers of Jesus cling to. We don't follow Jesus because life is awesome. In fact, your life might actually get harder when you come to faith because now you get this unique opportunity of suffering for the sake of Jesus. The promise is not a life of bliss where we as Christians float mystically above all the rest that are hurting, and that are in pain. No, it's, again, much better than that because we as Christians get to walk through life knowing that nothing is going to overcome us. There's a hope at the end, but church, it's not because God is saying, don't worry, if you come to me, there's going to be a magic wall that's going to keep all that away from you. And if you've been lied to and been told that if you come to Jesus all of that, you won't face any of that, I want to apologize because I know that has to be disheartening because when, you, when you're walking through life and you realize, well, that's not my reality, I must be doing something wrong. I must be, need to pray a little harder. I must need to do this or do this or do this. That is anti-gospel. Nothing you can do will earn you more. And it, it's not based on, hear me, um, disapproval does not mean struggle and God's approval does not mean blessing. It does not, and the scriptures don't call us to that as followers of Jesus. Now, some of you are probably saying you're making such a compelling case for following Jesus, but I'm not done. 
we're about to launch into James, like I said. And one of the first, I think it's the second verse, where he says, count it all joy, my brothers, when you face trials, because it is going to test your faith. Why would James tell us to count it all joy if we're not supposed to face it? The reality is we are going to face it. It's not if, it's when. But luckily, there's a number two in this list. Number two, you are not alone. You are not and will not be alone. What did Jesus say? It's better for you that I go because I am sending you my spirit. It's better for you. The very power of God is going to be in you. You are not and never will be alone. That he will always be there. Being a Christian doesn't mean that you get an easy life. It means that you get Jesus through his spirit in this life. That's what it means. The promise is not the easy life. The promise is that you'll never be alone. You will never be alone. This is why our message is such a message of hope because it meets reality. We all know this. We all feel this every day. And and our message says, you know what? We will face trouble, but take heart because our Savior is overcome. We're not alone. We will never be alone. And just think about this. If God didn't spare his own son for you, can we not have confidence that he's going to be there with us as we journey through the darkest moments of life? God didn't spare his own son. What makes you think he's going to bail on you now? The, the reality is that we are sustained, we are held by God himself, which brings us to number three. And that is this, that you will have ultimate victory. Nothing can separate you from the love of God that in, through Christ Jesus. Nothing. Nothing. Our text today said that there's a joy that nothing can take away. That's it. Nothing can take it away. Through any and every struggle, through any and every trial, you are not and will not ever be alone. And more than that, you can be confident even in the middle of the storm that you will have victory, that you will see victory. Why? Because our Savior overcome, overcame. We will overcome because our Savior overcome, overcame. And I want to I finish off. I won't put the scripture on the, on the screens because uh, I just want you to hear it. I just want you to listen to this uh, as I read. It comes out of Romans. And it says this, Romans 8. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's elect. It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? No. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. 
For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else that covers it all in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord.